Libby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to my sponsor, Libro FM. Libro FM Audiobooks lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including many New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as other audiobook companies, but you're going to be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. You can even choose which local bookstore you'd like to support, which is so cool. Listeners of my podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, ro.fm and enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. With every time you listen to an audiobook, now you can be proud that you're supporting a local bookstore. And the best part is that I have my own playlist on Libro FM, which is so cool. So the books that have been on my podcast and that I'm recommending are now in my own playlist. If you go to Libro FM slash playlists, you can find it, which is so great. I'm here today with Madeline Henry. Welcome for coming on Moms Don't Have Time Thank to Read Books. Thank you so much. Madeline is the debut author of Breathe In, Cash Out, a novel. Madeline worked at Goldman Sachs in investment management and is like a true yoga master, as evidenced by her Instagram. (laughs) She graduated from Yale University, like me, where she was a comedy writer for the Yale Record, America's oldest college humor magazine, and she currently lives in New York City. Mm -hmm. All correct? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. I have to say right away, I'm a little bit jealous because (laughs) I tried after business school to write a book and that was like my plan and then you did it and I'm like, oh, that would have been me, but it wasn't. (laughs) So anyway, I'm kind of jealous, but also super excited for you. (laughs) Thank you. So can you tell listeners what Breathe In Cash Out is about and what inspired you to write it? Absolutely. So Breathe In Cash Out is about an investment banker, Allegra, who's about my age, uh, who wants to be a... Which is like 18. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Who wants to be a yogi. And so that specific plot taps into two more common experiences. One is a woman whose dream job is different from what she's doing now. And in Allegra's case, it happens to be the opposite. And the second is escapism. So this is something I hear a lot from my friends who who are working in office jobs that they don't like is they they go on Instagram and they develop these escapist fantasies based on these glamorized photos. So they think, I want to quit my job and dot, 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 be a lifestyle blogger or be a professional traveler or be a yoga teacher in the case of Allegra. And so Allegra meets an Instagram yogi. They develop a friendship And the Instagram yogi tries to help Allegra reconcile these two worlds. So that is the what the book's about and the major ideas in it. I loved the scene when you have them sitting having coffee. She's like, I can't believe I'm here with this Instagram friend. I feel like I have so many friends on Instagram now that like when I see them in real life, I'm like, I feel like I know you, but I really don't know. Exactly. And so this book, it taps a little bit into the Instagram fever and these relationships we develop with people on Instagram who we feel like we know. So I'm, I'm definitely a, a sucker for that. <laughs> so you started a chapter with the following quote, no one grows up wanting to be an investment banker. Anyone who says they did is lying. And I was thinking to myself, Alex P. Keaton, did you ever watch Family? You're probably I too young. I looked oh, him up. Oh, you looked him up. And then I watched I a video. So old. <laughs> but oh I know my who gosh. Michael Fox is. <laughs> okay, Michael J. Fox. So Family Ties, for anyone listening who's younger than me, which is age 42, <laughs> was like one of these 1980s sitcoms that everybody watched. Right. He and looked Alex P. Keaton yeah. was like, you know, 
know, Michael J. Fox is a young dude wearing like <laughs> little Republican back in the day. So, but I, I actually wanted to talk to you about that because I do feel like for a long time, investment banking had a very different reputation mm, than it does yes. now. And people used to view investment bankers as like their trusted advisors. And it was more of a relationship, long-term business. Mm-hmm. And now it has become a little bit of a different industry. Not that people don't want to do it necessarily, right. but sometimes more a means to an end. How did you get it? Comment on that and also tell me about your experience in this industry. Sure. So when I got into investment banking, I was following a path that's very common for Ivy League students. So in 2017, 40% of Harvard graduates went into finance or consulting. And so this is what happens. Toward the end of college, the big banks come to campus and they start recruiting And these jobs are viewed as really prestigious. And so if you don't have a set idea of what you want to do, you're going to go with the crowd and interview at these places. And what I think is that when you're young, the conventional metric for success is grades in school. And when you're old, it's money. And so not old, but older. And so you're basically in the same reward loop. You're doing what's expected of you. You're going through this conventional success metric. And if you don't have a really solid idea of what you want to do next, you will probably go into banking or consulting as I did. And so that's how I ended up there. What did you want to be when you were a little girl? (laughs) Honestly, a writer. So uh, I had a typewriter when I was really young and I would type out poems and read to my classmates. And actually in college, I wrote a novel each semester, senior year, and that was science fiction. And nothing happened with that, but this is really a dream come true for me to be a writer, so. (laughs) My typewriter is right over there. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that was my grandma's typewriter. She used to send me letters at camp, like, weather is good. Like, you know, white out, or not even white out, but yeah. I, I I should show you after when I was in business school, I fell into the consulting interview Mm, circuits. I was like, everyone is doing this and I don't want to be a consultant, but I want to be a writer. There's no track for that. So I might as well throw my hat in the consulting ring. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so out of my element. I, the questions they asked, I tried to like prepare for the interviews. You probably went through the same thing. Yes. I didn't even like shoot for finance, but (laughs) the consulting, the way you have to analyze everything and like how many toll booths are in the United States or all these random questions, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much respect for consultants. (laughs) Honestly, when people are like, I work at McKinsey, I'm like, you're a genius. (laughs) Just to get that job. And that's exactly what it's tapping into is it's viewed as successful. It's viewed as prestigious. And so that's why so many people end up there and it becomes comfortable. So it's very hard to leave that field once you're in it. But Allegra, for your character, wants to get out, like, basically as soon as she's in. Like, she is doing this, like, not even pretending to like it. Exactly. She has one foot out the door, which is why she's trying to reconcile the two worlds at the same time. Is that how you went into it? To be honest, no. So I didn't start practicing yoga until I left banking, and then I worked in investment management. And so it was only when I had free time that I discovered things outside of work. And so I never had to reconcile them at the same time the way Allegra does. So God help her. (laughs) It's difficult. How did you 
find yoga or had yoga find you? Yeah. So I came to it from a very New York City perspective, which is yoga is a workout Mm -hmm. and this is for my body. And so then I started browsing on Instagram and I found this network of major yogi Instagrammers. So they all follow each other and comment on each other's posts and they post pictures of their practice. And I was just really in awe of these women and I wanted to be able to do those things with my body. So while I was in investment management, I practiced every morning at crazy hours, like at 5 a.m. And I would do these motions every day. At home or in uh, class? Or? At a gym, a gym. Uh, on an ab mat. So I get people coming up to me What's saying- an ab mat? An ab mat, sorry. You like, mean like with the AB? little thing you roll on the ground? Exactly, right. yeah. yeah. I have been doing <laughs> I just never called it an ad mat. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. And so I was practicing, and as these yogis' captions, they would have spiritual wisdom. And so that was my spiritual education. I wasn't raised with a religion, but I had captions on Instagram passing on life advice that really resonated with me. And so that is the way I got into yoga was through Instagram, which is very modern. (laughs) That is very modern. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what's your practice like now? Now I try to practice every day, but I don't do necessarily a flow or a deep practice every day. I just try and get into my body. And so sometimes that's specific yoga moves and sometimes it's having a yoga mindset while exercising, but I try to connect back to the body. Hmm. And your flexibility, not that this is related to your book, but I just have to comment. (laughs) You're like a contortionist. Have you always been that flexible and No. No? So this is very interesting. So my experience as evidence is that flexibility is like strength in that you can build it up with repetitions. I don't think I can build up what you have. That's what I thought. But honestly, I, I was never flexible. I was sedentary in an office job. And I was just, I wanted to be these women that I saw on Instagram. And I just thought, oh my God, you're so beautiful. You can do these crazy backbends. And so I just practiced and I got better over years. And the thing is that most people just quit before they see results. Mm-hmm. And it just takes so much longer than people expect. And they think, oh, I've been doing this a month. It's not working. But it takes longer. And I think that if you really fall in love with doing it, then you'll do it for longer and then you'll see the results. But if you are if you hate it and you're just doing it for the results, you'll probably quit. Hmm. Hmm. Did you have one inspirational yogi like the Skylar character in the book? There is a famous yogi named Nicole Woyak. And so she is famous for her yoga moves involving splits. And so she has this massive following, half of which are probably just guys watching splits. (laughs) And the other half are women who connect with her soulful captions and also are inspired by her physical excellence. So I was in the latter, but I was, I'm really inspired by the way she owns her body in a very feminine way. And that's something that I didn't really have growing up because I was always in with the guys and the math classes in banking. And then yoga was this first place where I felt very feminine mm-hmm. and being able to do beautiful things with my body was part of what drove me to it. And did you used to play sports? Yeah. So I was center in lacrosse in high school and had a pretty masculine upbringing. So where are you from originally? Westchester, New York. Oh, nice. Yeah. So back to Goldman for a minute. Mm -hmm. You worked at Goldman. This book is not, it doesn't say Goldman. It does not. Legally, I am (laughs) protected. (laughs) Did you think about doing a memoir of sorts? Like, was that ever Mm -hmm. a thought? Or did you always know you wanted to do this as a novel? 
I knew I wanted to write about yoga uh, cross with investment banking because that's so funny to me, Mm -hmm. um, given that they're opposites. And I legally cannot write about uh, my experiences at Goldman Sachs. So novel was the format that was mandated. (laughs) And this, did you get, just from a legal standpoint, this is all clear what you wrote? Oh, yeah. You had um, it all checked. Oh yeah, <laughs> multiple, lot of heads, lot okay, of brains. Right, right, right. <laughs> Just a making fort. sure before the like door flies open and like you know, Goodbye, cops okay. come in and like, you're dragged out of here. All right, good. Yeah. So that's good. Your experience, if I could project from not project, well infer from the experiences in the book, might not have been super positive. Mm. I would say. Yes, that's fair. Did you like? anything about your experience? Was there someone you developed a, you know, mentor, you mentor relationship with who you really respect? Is there anything about the industry you miss or that you really liked? Like what's the, there's got to be something positive. Absolutely. And not to say that this job is for everyone, right? Right. Not every job is for everyone. That's true. I think that the relationships I formed with my peers are really positive and priceless things. So And actually, with the publication of this book, I was afraid that some people would feel resentment toward me in some way, that I'm writing about a world that they're still in. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of support coming from my peers. And I passed a couple of them on the street the other day and said, oh, we're so excited for you. We're going to be at all the signings. And every pre-order matters. And they're like, oh, we pre-ordered it. And um, what's my character's name? And I realized that people want their stories told. That is true. It's a big thing in life. You want to be heard. You want your experience shared. And they feel like I'm representing the investment banking experience of our peers. And that's something that they respect. So I got very lucky and... They're great people. <laughs> That's great. Did you yeah. have like a trip who was a fan? <laughs> trip is an amalgamation of a few different guys. And I was actually closer with some of the girls, which is not in this book, but I had great girlfriends coming out of that experience. And did you read books like Liar's Poker and Monkey Business? Did you read those? I read Liar's Poker when I was writing this to get a sense of big books in this genre. And I have not read Monkey Business. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I should read it. (laughs) Those are more like, can you believe my life in this moment Mm -hmm. type of thing? Or like an inside from the inside looking out. And I feel like yours was more as they wrote, like, I'm on the inside, but I want to get out. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not even... It felt like you weren't even saying, like, look at how crazy this is. It was more, and maybe you didn't find it crazy. Maybe that's a question. Did you find it crazy? Did you find it crazy? Like, what did you think about the experience and how do you, for people who aren't as familiar with this industry, why is it so opposite from yoga? Absolutely. So it's opposite from yoga if you look at the values. So finance and banking values, money, external rewards, power, and yoga values, humility, internal rewards, and inner power. So it's really a, and it's a non-materialist business in yoga and banking is very much a materialist industry. So that's why they clash. And I did find it absurd when I was there, but then I changed companies and I find there are inefficiencies in every business. (laughs) So it's not necessarily that banking is evil, but I just draw that out in some of the anecdotes. Just to play devil's advocate here for a minute. The values that you talk about in banking or finance in general, although you're trying to make money, Mm 
the goal of that could be altruistic. You could be trying to make money to help other people. You could be trying to help your family. You could be trying to give to charity and this is your day job. Mm -hmm. Do you think, like, just because you end up earning money doesn't necessarily mean you're doing that for the wrong reasons, does it? Absolutely, yeah. And I don't mean to demonize money at all. And part of what this book explores is that everyone needs to make a living. And it just comes down to, do you conduct yourself with integrity while you're doing it? But I definitely don't demonize financial success in any way. And I think that you can still be operating with a lot of integrity as a banker or as someone in finance. I mean, there are tons of people. I mean, it's a huge you know, Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. My and, boyfriend's in finance. Yeah, and so. there's, <laughs> there's lots of people in other industries who are like complete scumbags, right? Who might Absolutely. even, I mean, there are people who work for charities who steal money and all this other stuff, right? Absolutely. So there could be, I'm just like throwing this out there. Totally. A commonality. Like the part of yoga is wanting to better yourself. Mm. And I think- Right? In a way, right? You're trying to improve yourself. You're trying to build your practice, build Mm -hmm. your flexibility, build your strength. And I think people in that industry and many industries are also doing that. They're trying to build their own skills and maybe their intellectual skills or maybe their, you know, finance or just getting practice and improving themselves in in life. Exactly. So maybe they're not all different. (laughs) Either way, it was a good, a great contrast. You said you're writing a second novel. Absolutely. Did I read that somewhere? That is actually... It's uh, done already? It's done. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I love it. It's called, I actually shouldn't say the title, but it is about unfinished relationships. So this is... What does the title rhyme (laughs) (laughs) So it's a love story and it takes place at Yale where we both went. And it is about unfinished relationships and where love goes when you can't see it anymore. So it's about two people who separate, but they continue to feel a connection. And so it's about why is that? What is that? And what does that mean for one woman in particular? So it's a very soulful novel. And it, unlike this, which I feel is very snarky and sarcastic and witty, this is a lot more visceral. So I'm really excited for it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a lot of cursing. I know when I when I met you at the book fair, I was like, do you curse every two words too? Or is that just your character? And you're like, no, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. I think that when you're in finance, you a lot of people are cursing all the time and it's just a reflection of the culture, but no, not in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to ask, and maybe this is like totally inappropriate because we don't really know each other very well, but you started this novel with this funny scene where the Allegra goes home with this guy, has, spends mm-hmm. the night, has a great night with lots of promise, and then, can I even say this? Absolutely. I'm not giving anything away. And yeah. then finds out that he is actually her her new boss. Mm. Yes. Which was a great way to the open worst. it. hate <laughs> <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> has, that, has that happened to you? Or just someone you, know, someone you know, or did you just dream that up? I have never had a one-night stand with my boss, and I actually (laughs) don't know anyone who has either. My experience with sex and banking is that it doesn't happen a lot. So people my age just do not have that much time when they're in banking, and so they just don't have that in their lives. Work is really who they're in a relationship with. So that did not happen. <laughs> I just had to ask because that was yeah. a great way to, that was a good way to like really pull you in, you know, into mm-hmm. the story. For sure. So tell me about your process. Like when do you write? Where do you like to write? Sure. Do you outline your books? How do you come up with your ideas? Like the whole, just tell me about you and sure. your writing process. Um, what's really important to me is that a story feels authentic because I think that at least when I read, I read to connect. So I want to hear a voice that's 
like my voice. I want to see someone going through something that I went through or that bears insight into my own life. So it's important to me that I write things that feel authentic and that come out of my own experiences. So that is how I choose subject matters. And then to write this book, I wrote this while I was still working in investment management. So I wrote very early in the morning and on weekends, just basically when I was not working. But what's interesting is that I found the... uh, energy that I had while working in finance uh, really uh, got into the story. And what I mean by that is there was very little heart in the initial draft. So in the final draft, you see Allegra's very influenced by her father. And to me, that's full of heart, this desire to please your parents. And where does your own interest come into that? But that emerged after I left finance because, and there wasn't a lot of background in the initial drafts. So that is to say my process when I was writing in finance was very influenced by who I was when I was in finance. And now that I'm not constantly under deadline pressure, I have the ability to explore deeper, more complicated, like visceral themes and relationships between characters. And now I I write full time, so I can do that all day. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So now that you have all day, sometimes I feel like if I have too much time, I don't get things done. When I have an hour a day, I get like 57 things done in the hour. That's true. Do you, do you, does that ever happen to you? It does not happen because I find that now that I have more free time, I can take the ideas with me on walks. And so I find that it's very freeing for me to think about something not at a computer. And that's where I make a lot of development. So I'll go on a long walk up the West Side Highway and I'll just ask myself a question and I'll take notes as I go. So I don't find the lack of constraint to hurt me. I just find it creates new opportunities. When I I wrote this book after business school and I took three months off to write it, Mm And I would sit at my desk, like my roommates would go and my roommate, rather, my boyfriend, everybody would leave and I would like have the apartment to myself and I would sit down at nine and I would just like write through the day until like three o'clock and then I would go about my business. And I remember it was like this huge blackout, which is like, there was a huge blackout in New York when all the power went out. Oh my goodness. And I didn't even know, like everyone was freaking out and I didn't even notice because my laptop just switched on to battery. Oh wow. And it wasn't until like hours later when I went to print what I had written for the day that I realized like my printer wasn't working and then I was like, ah. That's annoying. My printer's not working. Oh, wow. So <laughs> you was, were in flow. Yeah, wow. I was like, I was in it. But now, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but I, I find, to speak to what you're saying, there is an accordion of time. So if you have a lot of time, you can fit your task into the maximum amount of time that you have. And so if I only had a month to do a revision, I'm sure I could get it done in that month. And if I had three months, I'd get it done in three months. So there is something to be said about you adjusting your schedule to how much time you have. I like that, the accordion of time. <laughs> Did you come up with that? Just now. All yeah. right. <laughs> your room is magical. Oh, good. Okay. I should put quotes all over. <laughs> um, Things discovered on my podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So do you find time to read? When do you read? So Is that part of your I, process? Or? How I structure it is I make my the book I'm working on the hub of what I'm reading. So if I center my book on what I'm interested in, then I'm naturally going to read for work things that I want to read. So my third book is about a restaurant. And your so, third book? Already? Oh, yeah, well, you know, so what am I going to do? I'm really jealous. <laughs> now I'm just oh like jealous. 
just... So now I'm reading all of these books about restaurants and I make it for work. And I think that for New York City types, we need a justifiable excuse to do something we love or to not waste time and to make all this reading for work in my mind grants me this freedom to do it. So that's how I make time to read is I give myself that excuse that it's for work because it is. <laughs> that's, that's how I do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I get all these books in. Yeah. If you need anyone to talk to in the restaurant industry, I don't know if you Ooh. do, but my husband's cousin has an amazing restaurant in New Jersey. It's called Biagio in Wayne, New Jersey, but Ooh. it's like upscale Italian. It is so good. And Perfect. he's like 28 or something. He's like this up and coming. Amazing. Anyway, I'll put you, his name's Robbie Felice. I'll put you in touch. Thank you. Because he's like, yeah. you should go out there. That's going to happen. He's yeah. And he just opened a second restaurant. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. Remind me. I'm going to okay. forget. Maybe I'll like listen to this and be like, oh, I never sent her. <laughs> okay, so you have a lot coming next. Yes. Did you start the restaurant book? Yes, I have. Now we're doing a lot of promotion for Breathe In book, Cash yeah. Out. So this is number one right now. So. Yeah. That takes a lot. I yeah, mean, it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. And do you have any advice to aspiring authors? My advice would be to write every day and to not give up and to not wait until you're inspired to write something because from my experience, it takes a lot of bad writing to get to anything good. And so even if you're not feeling it, write until you get to something good and keep at it. And one question, just to back up. Tell me about how this became a published novel. Mm, Okay, so that was very old-fashioned cold calling to agents who saw the commercial promise in my background being at Goldman Sachs writing a novel about investment banking. So because I had a tie-in to something very socially relevant, I think that that got agents to look at me. And then it was standard submission to publishers last summer, sold it last summer, and now it's coming out. So That's pretty fast. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. And I actually have one question for you. Oh, yay! Yes. Is, so you've seen so many authors, you know, reach success or not. Do you have advice from the perspective of a reader and an interviewer of authors on advice for authors? On which aspect of life? Any uh, any aspects? Yeah, on connecting with readers or finding success in the business or common pitfalls. Anything Ooh. speak to you? I'm really excited. No one's ever asked me a question before. Seriously. My goodness, I haven't prepared. Well, I would say that you can't really plan your life. Yeah. And that the people who have gone through the most have really interesting stories to tell. Not that you have to, but that whatever life is going to throw your way can be material at some point. And even the depths of despair can be sort of mined. And to know that life is just, writing is going to be your, you know, not your friend, but that will be a tool forever for you. And to use it, like wield that tool often and eagerly, and you'll keep chiseling away and come up with really great stuff over over time. That was philosophical. <laughs> um, on a more tactical level, I've heard that the more publicity you can do for books yourself, the better. Mm. And not to rely necessarily on the publishers mm. who might not have the budget or the time or the, not that they don't have the desire, but might not have as many resources as you might need. And to try to, you know, for lack of a better word, hustle and do whatever you can. You probably know this already, but everything helps to differentiate a book. And I really think that connecting with other authors really helps, which is something I've been trying to do with this podcast is form a community because 
you learn so much from people who have come before you. It's like how I am with my kids. Like people who have kids just a little bit older are so valuable to me. So people who have had a book come out in the last couple of years, I would say reach out to them. Let me know if there's anyone you want me to introduce you to and see what worked best for them. Great. How was that? That was amazing. Okay, thanks good. discovered on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Oh, well, thanks for coming on. Thank you and, so much um, for having me. Thanks yeah. for asking me a question too. <laughs> that was really cool. Great. Okay. Thanks again to my sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com. 